So, um, where, where, where do we go from here? If you understand what I mean, you don't go anywhere from here. You don't go anywhere from here. And a lot is left, a lot is left behind. So what I mean, one of the, is it, you leave here, you do not look back. There's no, there's no looking back. Oh, how precious, no. Right in front of you, move it forward. No time to dwell on it. We don't have time to turn around. We don't have time to turn around. We could move forward and meet with the same credentials that we brought here. We meet the next moment. Walking out of here, driving our car, out we go. We spend much too much time leaving tracks everywhere we go. And it doesn't serve the world. Doesn't. That in no way stands or affronts the appreciation we feel for being here or the communion of relationship that is here that we acknowledge while we're here, but we don't depend upon that as a continuation for being ourselves and being here, wherever here might be. We move it forward. We have to. So no looking back. On we go. And many of us are going into very difficult situations. There's no other adjective. And so what do we have? What do we have? Some of us would like to have a tool set available for bringing some magic harmony to a disharmonious set of circumstances. There is none. There is none. How willing are you to be disharmonious? How willing are you to be in the midst of all of that? And not expect anything different. One of my teachers talks about uh, using metta and thinking that he could, you know, convey that metta to make things harmonious. So there was a dog that was barking and started to kind of look as if it might charge. A little dog. And so my teacher offered him metta. And the dog came and nipped him. (laughs) I love that story. (laughs) How willing are we to have a dog in our face? You see? Because in some way or another, we're all going to face that challenge. And we're going to be nipped. No matter how much meta pours out of us. Right? How do we handle that? What do we do, you see? In its essence, in its essence, and this is uh, easily said, but probably few of us in the room really are oriented to the disposition. When you allow someone to be totally themselves, you're not asking them to be different, even in your heart. And when you realize that you have to live, if you're going to live with, and certain people you have to live with, and you have to live with that difference and not constantly try to weigh in mentally on how awful it is because it's only awful because you haven't accepted the difference between you and that person. 
and your mother or father is not going to change. Now what are you going to do? Because you're in a boat together, most of us. You can't get out of the boat. So you have to surrender to whatever it is that's been going on since time immemorial that we have never surrendered to. Or we're going to ride the same very rafty waves all the way to the end. They're not going to change. And that's it. But we can. We are not here to change the world. The world is here to change us. And we may never like it. It's not a question of all of a sudden liking it and smiling and having radiance. And it can be very difficult. It's very difficult. Can we, t- can we step forward in that? Step forward into that? That's the tool. The tool is the actual willingness to surrender. Not using tools. Using tools is what you do when you can't surrender. Surrendering is the tool of choice. And it's not even a tool. It's the teaching. So where does that intentionality, see where does that surrender come from? It comes from intentionality. And intentionality... What happens is that we lose the intentionality. Each of us, sometime during this retreat, has accessed a deep level of intentionality for the opening or fulfillment of your heart. And it can be expressed in lots of different ways. So if it's, if it's expressed as trust or freedom or faith or, I don't know, just whatever it's expressed, it's still the same intentionality. And we lose sight of that. We walk out of here and a horn honks at us and suddenly we're in a recoiled, kind of reactive mood and the intentionality that comes surfaces isn't that intentionality. It's the intentionality of just wait till I see that guy at the rest stop or whatever we might do. (laughs) And it's... It's a little bit like you have to hold the reaction to let the other intentionality surface because it's, it, it's so easily shut down through the multiple ways that our reactive mind still holds um, its leadership, what I call the leadership of the I. And your heart can't breathe through all of that. So sometimes we just have to pause And pause isn't restraint in the sense that it's like, you know, a a bit on a horse. It's not like holding the reins in a horse. It's just letting true intentionality surface. And that pause, pausing, pausing to allow that true intentionality to surface, makes all the difference. Because the intentionality, if it can be accessed, suddenly brings in everything. It brings in a view, a disposition. It brings in the heart. It brings in everything that we have accessed on this week, during this week. And so 
take time to pause. Take time throughout the day just to give yourself, don't run, it's like the bell ringing. Give yourself a chance to hear the bell. So that you can come down from or out of this trance of thought. Because a trance of thought isn't going to have you pause. That's the last thing that it will ever do is to give you some free time. And then it will scold you for free time. As wasted time, being useless, everything. It'll come at you with everything it can to keep itself going and perpetuating. And so when we take a vacation, we take our minds with them. We don't leave, we don't allow a pause. We just continue the same thing and now we're in a different location. Retirement's the same thing. You retire and the same thing comes out. Because we really haven't taken in or extended up through this sleepwalking that we have been doing. And it's risky and it's fearful. And it's a, whenever we rise up above something, we are in unknown territory. And because the mind, by its very nature, wants everything known, it freaks out. And so it brings you back down into the line of thought that is most familiar to all of us because we've lived there for so long and then has you keep going in that way. And fear acts as the gate to keep you within. It's, those are, that's like an electric fence. You know, a cow can't get too close to the electric fence or you're shocked back into the pasture. And so that's, it has tools. Not only fear, but it also has all sorts of insufficiency tools, self-doubting tools, that it knows where to go because it'll go to the weakest point in our psyche because that's what it knows, how it can get your attention and to get your belief system activated. Back into the level of trance. And so it just keeps shocking you through our neuroses back into the level of trance. That's what neurosis is. How dare you, how dare you think that you can get out of this? And you can't. That's the thing. There's no way for you to. In Dante's Inferno, over the door of entry reads, give up all hope of ever leaving. And that is its exit. You, the sense of you, is not able to rally whatever forces you have available to you to fight the very thing that you see as an obstacle. Because the way this works is you seeing an obstacle reinforces the obstacle. There's not two of you. There's not the problem and me. The me and the problem are arriving from the mind. Both of those are encased in one object called the mind. So one part of the mind is trying to shut up the other part of the mind through discourse or through effort. 
so one part of the mind contracts and the other part of the mind leashes out. How is there any harmony in that? And forever the battle has been not seen that both of those are arising within the main, same framework. So we quiet both of those by doing nothing about them. And that's the pause. That's the pause. And in that moment of pause, the whole of the mind, not its divisive hemispheres, rises out of itself. Not through white-knuckled effort, ambition, but through absolute certainty that there's no other way except through quiet. I can't do it. And then the Sphinx rises up out of the ashes of itself. Now, there are beautiful ways to remind ourselves in this journey of life that we are under a trance. Sometimes we have to despair within the trance sufficiently to even want to pause. And there are signposts or helpers to get us a sense to give us a sense of that. One is nature. To have some access to nature. Because nature's in continuous pause. And so when we're running like this and we don't allow nature to get in. You can see when nature gets in, it pauses us. It takes us to its dimension. We can't take it to, it has no, we can't take it to ours. So we either miss it or we resonate with it. And you can do that with a house plant. Or just a walk in the park. Or you can do that sitting in meditation. Because sitting is seeing the natural expression of mind. And we begin to feel the resonance of nature within ourselves when we see it aligned in the adequate, in the proper, a proper, with a proper from a proper perspective. Take it so personally, it just means what we lack and what we regret and what not. But if we see it in a different way, it's like, oh, this is nature. Emotion arises as nature. And what we do with ourselves in meditation is to create a pause so that nature can be harmonized with, so that there's no angst, speed, I'm not investing anything in it, I'm just, there's just attention, just awareness of nature, the nature of mind. But oftentimes external nature is an access into our own nature. And I, when I was at uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa's monastery, I thought he would, um, you know, he says, why are you here? When I first got there, he, and I said, well, I'm here to study with you. He says, go, I don't want you here. 
So then I was left kind of dejectedly and was talking to one of the Thai monks who could speak English. He says, don't say that to him. Go tell him you want to study in nature. So I went back, <laughs> so I went back and said, I'd like to study in nature. And he said, oh, there's a hut, a cootie up there for you. Go, you're welcome. Well, <laughs> not having any idea what I had just said, but okay. And then I looked around his monastery. He had no Buddha statues. None. There, there was no temple, no Buddha statues whatsoever. I couldn't understand because everywhere I'd been, every monastery in every country was set up around its Buddhist Buddha rupas, its Buddha statues. And he said, well, you know, if you want to bow to something, why don't you bow to that rock? See, he carved, he carved it out from where it was, not from the images of what it was, but from where it was. Because he knew that if he put the images too far from where it was, we would forget the where it was and bow to the images. And his monastery was a pause. He didn't care whether you chanted or care whether you sat, really. He had no structure whatsoever. It was wide open. Now come in, but you couldn't live there for very long because the food was so terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a Westerner with any kind of appetite other than the appetite for a big pause, (laughs) you are going to be frustrated. I mean, we're talking about really bad food. Like I'd go out and at, in the, in Ron Palms, and then I would have um, maybe a duck egg that's incredibly salty, white rice, some leaves from a tree, and a big glob of buffalo fat. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> and there you were. Now what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> but because, he, and he intentionally, you know, he intentionally wanted to make it very simple like that. Because it weeded out people who would come, because he's a very famous monk, and he would get these big shiploads of bank, Bangkok, people from Bangkok who would come and, and he would just, he wouldn't allow them to do things that, in, like, you know, to make it rich, to make it a rich temple. He didn't want monks there for the wrong reason. Didn't want them. And so, when you, so for three years, I lived night and day in a thin slatted little hut, six by eight, that... That was my thing. That was it. With scorpions and centipedes and poisonous snakes and monkeys and there we were. Just like that. And the horror stories and just what you would might feel. But by God, all I could feel was the pause. And I was willing to put up with anything because the pause was there. And I knew that that man knew the pause. And I wasn't going to miss the chance to learn from somebody who did And very few of the other Ajans did. I, we used to say that the whole of the Dharma was being held up by maybe a dozen Ajans in the entire country. When you found one, 
And what I got from him that you might see is that daring. He gave it to me. He, he said, when I left the monastery after the last time, he said, so teach anatta, selflessness, and don't be afraid to shake the people. You teach. He told me that. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> right? So that's it. Those are instructions. You take them seriously. Okay. It was, obviously, it was my character anyway. But, all right. So intentionality, you see, it comes back to our place on earth and how we hold that place. And we look out from our eyes and we see this spectacle in front of us of the destruction of planet, environment, each other, the infighting, endless infighting, the rampant greed Rampant. Loneliness. Betrayal. Alienation. Very sobering picture when you see it from the pause. And you know what you do? You step right into it. Because there is nothing that changes people like having a pause come in the middle of them. Martin Luther King at one point said, he said it very eloquently, so don't read it because it's so beautiful. He says, in essence, which is just my summation, something like, from we, we come in with peaceful means and it so rally, it so antagonizes your hatred of us that our peace will show you your violence, and from that you will heal. So we step in the middle, step right in the end. And we don't know what effect we're having on anyone. It doesn't matter. But it does matter that we keep the intentionality in alignment to ourselves and with ourselves, to nature, so that we have that ongoing sense of having a place to relax and settle within ourselves. And if we lose that, we have become the problem we seek to cure. And I don't care how socially active we are or engaged or how righteous we think what we're doing or how kind we think we might be doing being a nurse in a palliative care unit or anything like that. If we don't bring the pause in with us, it actually seeds the problem of the pain. So you take, you, it's a tremendous responsibility tremendous responsibility and we have no 
quantifiable way to see that we're doing anything of any good. Because people don't say, God, I really like your paws. Sometimes they, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, you, you get some sense, of, but you don't have, you don't, won't get that. If you're expecting a grade card, it doesn't happen. And so, very quickly, you don't, we don't get the reinforcement that you necessarily need to, to, to feel egoically. See, it's not about that. Egoically, the reward that would keep you going. In fact, if you did get that, it would keep you going in the wrong way. What you get, what we get, is a warm heart. That's what we get. Connectedness. A reframing of the issue that few, if any, people even care about or even want to hear. But that's what, that's what we get. And when we get hungry enough for that and we see the problems out there sufficiently so that we're ready to take our seat, and not be held in abeyance by our doubt. And that means like this. Staff in hand. Smacking the earth like a Zen. And so along the way, along the way, along the way, it's not all, it's not, it starts out as sort of like, uh, you know, it's like very difficult to sort of go back in, come back out, you go back in, you come back out, all of that. That's just the consciousness owning itself. And so there's all this kind of playing in and screams and yelling and difficulty and troubled with my life and beating our fists and that just seems to be the state of how it does it from a sense of a person that's how it does it so as a meditation teacher you get very used to people bounding their fists and screaming and all of that stuff because that's how it evolves but it's the evolution that matters and life plays hardball to get that evolution from us if we look at the Vietnam era, that was a tremendously turbulent time for those of us who are old enough to remember, like myself. If you look retrospectively now, some 35 years later, you begin to see that that time evolved the consciousness. Just a click. Something happened there. And it had to go through all of that turmoil for it to know itself just one click more. Now we see the forces arising on the horizon that, from my point of view, make Vietnam pale by comparison. And my sense is that this is what's needed for the next click of consciousness, the next evolution. And it's working. 
50,000 Seattleites turn up at Quest Field with the Dalai Lama, taking intention with the Dalai Lama to, and little first and second graders or third graders would get up at the microphone and say, let's all have compassion for the world. And we'd raise our hands and say, we all have compassion for 50,000 adults. And we kept taking intentions, which is what this thread is that I still wear from that time. And I thought, my God, 50,000 people, they don't even know what they're doing. If they had any idea what they were doing and what they were setting in motion for themselves, they would be out of here in an instant. <laughs> or Oprah, bless her heart, has a dialogue with Eckhart Tolle that millions of people tune into. And if you want to hear some very, very deep, profound Dharma delivered in a way that even the most unexpected individual among us could hear, tune in to him. Extraordinary Dharma. And so, but we, and we are a part of that. And we're not an egoic center force. We don't go out and start, you know, it's not like that. We just, like an ant, you do, you pick up one little thing of, you know, and then you move it there. And that's your job. So, okay, great. But you look at outward, out where the ohm resonates, out where this, and you see it's all in a completely, it's moving. It's all moving. And we are to get out of the way of that movement and let it move. Because I don't know how it's moving. And I don't know. I didn't think the Viet... I was very pro... I was a protester against the Vietnam War. And there was Vietnam War was the very cause of the evolution of consciousness. Was my protest right? Yes, it was because I was feeling very strongly. So I will protest. But I may be protesting against the very movement and place that it's taking us. You see? So I don't know that. And none of us do. We don't have that kind of perspective. We just feel individually what we need to do and participate in it. But you get very humble about what might be the overall game plan of this thing. Like, I have no idea. I don't even know the game plan for myself. All I know is to just surrender ever more deeply. That's all I know to do. That's it. That's all I know to do. And any time I see the egoic sense of me arise, I look, and then it pops, it goes, boom. Come out? No. No? No. And I have to constantly question everything I do to see whether what it's tinged with, whether it's, whether it's connected with my primary intention. Instead of forcing ourselves around some kind of tragic idealism in our spiritual work, just go to the intentionality of where we come from. When you're watching TV and you think, God, I'm wasting my time. Well, instead of berating yourself, which does not serve the spiritual journey, go to the intention. Suddenly the intention starts watching the TV. And you go, whoa. Now you're watching it from a completely different point of view. And... You may keep watching or you may turn it off. It doesn't make any difference. Because now that you've aligned yourself with that pause in your life, 
It doesn't, absolutely does not matter what you do. And we take it the other way. You see, we try to, we try to chisel ourselves into place. We make it a, a, a modeling project here. You know, we've got this idea of what it means to be spiritual. We're starting to model the clay of me to fit that sculpture. But the clay of you, you don't have any idea what your uniqueness looks like. You can't or you wouldn't be unique. Uniqueness has no sense of perspective on itself. And one other, one other thing as I'm rambling on here is I want to mention about, once again, the value of ethical conduct. You see, it is a reminder of whether we're in the trance of thought or whether we're abiding within pause. When we are, when we transgress, it is not a cause for self-blame and shame. It's like, oh, it's the bell. I just told a lie. It's the bell. Okay. So we tune in, we connect with our need to tell a lie. Not the scolding of lying. We go, what is, what is, what was that about? What's this about? What is this, what is this? posture about? What, what am I trying to protect? And you see it. And you say, okay, well, there's pain there. There's pain there. It hasn't been acknowledged. So we can acknowledge it. In the moment it's happening, the pain is there. It's not something that we have to do in a protracted sense, like give me half an hour while I go dig up the antecedents of my... No, it's right there where the lie is being told in the moment, or it isn't worth seeing. So, it's right there. Okay, whoa. I want somebody to think, and you see it, I want somebody to think a certain way about me and that I don't feel I am. And I'm ashamed of the way I am, so I, I distort the truth. And there's probably, because so much pressure has been applied for me to be a way, the way that I would like you to perceive me, that I, when I'm not that way, I have to lie about it because you put me under so much pressure to be perceived that way. Like my little niece. And so that's it, you see. That's it. Now wander the earth. Buddha said, go to the far corners of the earth. Don't. You say, oh, but i got to go back to Cloud Mountain. No, you don't. You just go this way. And intermingle. And every once in a while, you come upon somebody else who holds integrity. And it's like, isn't it, when you see somebody like that? You can't believe it. Then you say, well, 
Okay, you all. Bless your hearts. Bless your hearts. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.